Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Amen. All right. It's a great way to end a year and to start a year is by praising God. All right. And giving him all the glory. Amen. And that's, and I believe uh, that we have a message this morning that is actually fits that bill, man, is a, a great way to end the year and a great way to begin the year and a great way to live out the year. All right, uh, so welcome to the church. Where's, uh, where's Heber at? Praise the Lord. Welcome, Heber. Amen. Happy New Year. All right, um, everybody else watching online, thank you for joining us. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to need you to stay with me on this one. All right, because we're gonna we're gonna be all over the place. All right, there's gonna be a lot going on, but I'm really only gonna be talking about one thing. I'm only gonna be talking. There's gonna be a lot of scripture today. I mean, a ton of scripture today. But 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 I'm only gonna be talking about one thing. All right, and we mention it a lot. All right, and, you know, in passing, we celebrate this thing, you know, with with seasons. And sometimes we talk about this thing just to trip people out. All right, you know, and it's but but it's the most important thing to our faith. What is the most important thing to our faith? Our faith. Can anybody guess? The resurrection. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that we too can be raised with him. And some of you are thinking, you know what, man, dude, it's not Easter. What are you doing, man? It's like a Jesus ain't trying to wait till Easter so you can know, all right, and understand that he's risen even now, <laughs> right? Right now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central point of our faith. And therefore, it must, because of it is, it should be hoped in, it needs to be hoped in, it needs to be trusted in, and we need to make our stand in that truth. Everything we believe today, all right, everything we believe about Jesus hinges, hinges on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't even have, most of the world wouldn't even have the, the scriptures. We wouldn't even care about the scriptures. All right, we really wouldn't. Do you, you ever think about that? We wouldn't have a Bible in our hands if it wasn't, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. We wouldn't be thinking about the things that we think about when it comes to God. Right? You know, and you know, we, would, we wouldn't be tripping on that. But him rising from the dead is what caused that. Every, it, it caught everybody's attention. It caught the whole world's attention. It still catches the world's attention today. And it's what moves us in the direction of the meaning of, this, of life and the main truth of life. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, that away from Christ Jesus, away from Jesus Christ, all right, the most powerful force in human life is death. The most powerful force in human life is death. Away from Jesus, that's a true thing. See, because death has a grip on every life, all right, on the planet. And so, everything, everyone is trying to prove to themselves that they're truly alive because we know that death is on its way. But what is crazy is Jesus Christ defeated death, man. He beat death down, all right? And the greatest assurance that we can have to be truly alive here, now, and even after death is this life, in this life is that Jesus himself got up from death. Jesus himself got up from death. Jesus already proved 
To us, the death is not the end of the story if you're in the right story. If you're in the right story, man, death is not the end of the story. You see, our faith is a crazy faith. It's a pretty wild faith. When you really think about it, man, when we believe or we trust, we believe that the man who was and is God, all right, died to pay for our sins. That's crazy. All right? So, so that we can know that we're good with God. And because of that, you know, we're going to be with him in this life and in the next life. Even though life before Jesus proved to be a different story, actually. We totally believe that there's going to be a next life. That's crazy. And what makes it really not so crazy is that pretty much everyone, everybody on the planet knows that there's something more. Everyone, every human being on the planet has a sense, all right, an inner sense of the truth that this life isn't all there is to life, that there's more. Everybody knows this. Many people act like they don't know this, but deep inside, they're hoping there's something more. In our text today, all right, uh, we're, 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 we're still in Luke, right? And you're like, dang. Anyways, yeah, we're still in Luke, all right, a couple more months, all right? In our text today, there's another group of religious community leaders, all right, that are trying to catch Jesus, all right, to, at the core of our faith. They're trying to get him to disprove himself, and once again, they find the tables turned on themselves again. And so we're in Luke chapter 20, and we're beginning in verse 27. Like I said, we're going to cover a lot of ground in Luke, and then we're going to go to another area of the Bible just to kind of wrap things up for us. But let's pray. Whew, Heavenly Father, the enemy does not want this message preached. That's, that, that, that we know. We know that's a fact. More so, he does not want this message received. And he does not want people to stand in this faith. He does not want us to hold fast to our great God and King here. But Lord, we also know that the enemy is a loser, Lord God. And you are sovereign. And you are King. And Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Christ, Lord God, that you get me out of the way, Lord God. Though I may stumble over some words today, Lord God, uh, um, may miss a few things, Lord God, but your, your message is preached, Lord God, just pure and clear. Lord God, that we may know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is risen, is alive, and that we too can be with him in eternity. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, big deal, huh? <laughs> right. So in Luke chapter 20, verse 27, um, we're still you know, a couple of days away from the cross. We're at the last week of Jesus' life in the, in the contents, context of the scripture. 
And uh, it says, there came to him some Sadducees who deny that, there are a resurre- that there's a resurrection. And you know, just a quick historical background, the, the, the Sadducees were uh, a group of, of religious uh, leadership. They were a leadership party all right, that were more, really, more represented the wealthy and the sophisticated of the, of, of the Jewish culture in that time. All right, and they were more politically minded than any of the Pharisees were. And they didn't believe uh, in the resurrection. They denied immortality. They denied the, you know, the immortality of the soul, the existence of angels uh, and spirits and whatnot. And uh, they only accepted, you know, we have the whole teaching. We have the first five books. We have the law and the prophets. Okay, the, the prophets. And then we have the New Testament. They, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. All right, and nothing after that. That's just who they were. They were called the Sadducees because they were quite sad, you see. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, anyways, um, praise the Lord. And so they came up to Jesus. Everybody was taking shots at him. We've been watching this, all right? Everybody was taking shots at him. The, the scribes, all right? The Pharisees, the, the elders and the religious leaders, they were all taking their shots at him. And now the Sadducees thought they'd come up and they thought they were going to just kind of trick him, all right? And, and, and so, so they came at him with, uh, with a question. And Jesus, we, we've been watching, he didn't really respond to a lot of questions, he turned it up. He turned it over on the, on a lot of the questioners. All right, when they tried to catch him with these uh, stupid questions, but this one he actually answers, and we're going to check out why uh, in a minute here. They asked him a question, saying, "Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take." The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Let me read that again. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Yeah, and this was actually a thing that was taking place. And it was actually, it was also in the, in the law. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. You can find this law. It's kind of crazy when you look at the details, you know, of a wife spitting on her, her chunk up and slapping the brother. It really happens. It's kind of a weird thing, but it's kind of funny. Um, but mainly the law was to protect basically uh, the widow and also the lineage of the deceased man. Because lineage was a big deal. I mean, it was almost kind of sacred to Jewish culture to have you know, a, a line of, of children and just, uh, just carried on the family name. So it was kind of a big deal. They, kinda, they, they started off okay, but then they got kind of stupid. Look at here. I'm going to read through a few verses and you'll see what I'm talking about. So once again, uh, just kind of back up again. Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, uh, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And then he goes, now there were seven brothers, Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus rolling his eyes at this point. Oh my gosh, really? Okay, so there, here we go. We're gonna go, this is what we're gonna go with. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And then the second took the wife. And then the third took her. And likewise, all seven uh, and no children, and yet no children, and they all died. Afterward, the woman also died. All right, Jesus, in the resurrection... All right, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? All right, for seven had her as a wife, and I can imagine them doing magic hands to Jesus. Hmm? 
thinking they really caught him in some kind of weird, stupid question. But here's what I look at. When I look at this, I, I look at the, the fact that this was such a stupid question posed by supposedly intelligent men. It tells me they didn't really care about the question itself. All right? They, they were trying to disprove Jesus. They were trying to disprove Christ. And people have forever since been trying to disprove Jesus. And the easiest way to disprove Jesus is to, is to disprove the resurrection. I mean, if we can prove that the resurrection never happened, all right, we can essentially say, okay, then all of this is, is worthless. It's all garbage. And so many people have tried to do this since and have failed. I mean, and, you know, and intelligently. A guy named Josh McDowell. All right, he was in college and he thought he was, he was a, just an amazing stellar student. And he thought, once and for all, I am going to academically disprove Jesus Christ. I'm going to, and he went through all the academic, you know, scrutiny and just kind of just, we're just trying to disprove the resurrection and disprove. And every time he kept trying to disprove it, he ended up proving it. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus. And he wrote a book, a huge uh, book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's quite an amazing book. I still haven't finished it, and I've been reading it for 29 years now. <laughs> it's insane. All right? C.S. Lewis, you heard of C.S. Lewis. You know, we think of the lion, the witch, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, and all those, all those kind of things, right? He was going to rationally disprove the gospel. He thought it was just so irrational. And he ended up just studying and trying to disprove it and judge and, and then again, rationally disprove this. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. He said so much. He goes, I was resisting so much. They had to carry me to the, through to the altar, kicking and screaming. He ended up writing an amazing defense, uh, defense of the faith called Mere Christianity. Another book I've finally finished. All right. And uh, also screw tape letters and, and, and just a number of books that defend the faith. There's another guy, Lee Strobel. Some of you may have heard of Lee Strobel. He actually made a movie about this called The Case for Christ, and he wrote several books. But he was a journalist, all right? Chicago Tribune, I think it was. And his wife gave her life to Christ and started following Jesus, and he was so irate about this, so upset. He just could not understand what she was doing. And so he sought to prove through journalistic scrutiny, did I say that right? Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> that, that, that this was all a farce, that, it was, that there was nothing to this. And so he started to, and he traveled, you know, all over the place, just getting facts and just trying to disprove it and trying to disprove it. And every time he would try to disprove one point, it would get proven for him until finally he too could not resist and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He could not disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he wrote the book, A Case for Christ, and then later A Case for a Creator, and several other works. It's pretty amazing. Another cat named Frank Morrison. He was, I mean, we can go on and on, man. This guy was a lawyer, right? And just a pretty good lawyer. And he thought that he was legally going to disprove. He was going to put all the evidence. He was going to put the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the stand and just, just fire away and disprove Jesus. And he couldn't do it. He too gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
And he ended up writing the book, Who Moved the Stone? Some of our greatest books, all right, on defending the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ were written by people who originally set out to disprove it. One last guy, his name was Sir Lionel Lucku. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. All right, but he is in the Guinness Book of, of Records, Guinness Book of World Records, all right, uh, and, that, and that he, for, for, for 245 consecutive wins in murder, murder trials, he won the most murder trials in a row, and he's in the, in the Book of World Records. And he is quoted as saying, when he said he was going to go out and disprove the gospel, he says, I have been, I'll put this up there, I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, which is the word I've been waiting to use in this sentence, <laughs> mm-hmm. all right, that the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And they're going to keep trying. They're just going to keep trying to disprove this. And they can't, man. I mean, we're 2,000 years later. Well, now 2,000, um, 2000 what, 25? Where are we at? Two, four years is coming? <laughs> we're tra- I lose track of time, and apparently. 2024, right? <laughs> like I just totally nailed something. Like I guess something really awesome. All right. Still haven't done it. And so back then, the Sadducees, they weren't honestly looking for an answer to their question. They were trying to catch Jesus. And what they thought was an unanswerable question and proved that he was not worth following or even listening to. I've ever ever had friends just kind of just try to throw stuff at you to disprove what you believe. When I first gave my life to Christ, a, a really good friend of mine he tried to challenge my faith in the resurrection and challenge my faith in an almighty God. And he asked me a question. He says, all right, if God, do you believe God is all powerful? I said, I believe he's totally all powerful. And he says, okay, if he is all powerful, all right, could he himself, uh, can, could, could he make a rock so big and so heavy that he himself could not lift it? And I said, no. He goes, oh. I go, because he isn't stupid. (laughs) All right? Think about it. Come on, man. When considering questions, always consider the source, all right, as well as the intent of the question. What are you after? Where's it coming from? Always consider these things, all right? And here's what's crazy. Jesus, all right, uses their, their ridiculous question to lead them, all right, into ultimately and necessary eternal truth. Here's Jesus' response. In Luke 20, 34, Jesus said to them, the sons of this age are given in marriage. The sons of the here and now, the right now where we're at, all right? This is this age right now. We're in this age that he's talking about. He said, they're given in marriage. We do this. He says, but in 35, he says, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age which is the age to come, all right, and to the resurrection from the dead, that age being that, that, that worthiness from his cross leading, all right, to eternity with God. 
all right? But those who are considered worthy to attain that age from the dead, I mean, and the resurrection of the dead, neither marry or are given in Mary, given to Mary. He immediately speaks with authority of the age to come. And he tells them that the resurrection life is way different from, the, from, from, from this life. All right? It doesn't just continue what we've already arranged here. Right? And I know a lot of us trip like, okay, well, are we still going to, are we still going to, are we still going to? And we do know, I mean, we've seen scripture that points out that we are going to know family. I mean, there was a dude that was actually on his way to hell, man. And he was like, go tell my brothers. And he, he knew he still had brothers. We're not going to lose that sense of relational value. But I truly believe that there ain't going to be no room for jealousy or exclusiveness in heaven. Jesus is just like saying, he's looking, there ain't going to be that kind of party, you guys. He's trying to tell them. He said, because, look at verse 36, because they cannot die anymore because they're equal to the angels. They're sons of God and sons of the resurrection. They're permanently risen from the grave. Mm. Hallelujah. And then he talks about our resurrection, our resurrection. He says, but the dead, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, the burning bush, where he calls the, the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, of Jacob. He doesn't say, you know, hey, uh, I, I was Abraham's God when he was alive. I was, you know, uh, Isaac's God when he was alive. I was Jacob's God. You know, he tells Moses, I am still their God. I'm still their God because even though they have died, they still live. Amen? amen? Come on, that is a good place for an amen. All right, that is our, that is our destination if, if we choose this life in Christ. He said, now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. He's redeemed, we're, we're redeemed for life, both in, in its existence and its eternity, in its eternity. We're, we're, we're redeemed for life, both in the existence of life, all right, right here, right now, we're redeemed. If you give your life to Christ, if you trust in the finished work on the cross and you say he is Lord of your life, and we're redeemed for the existence of life which is never ending according to Christ. And then some of the scribes, they said, teacher, good job. <laughs> That's what he said, basically. And I just believe that they were freaking out still. They said, you've spoken well. And it said, for they no longer dared to ask him any question." What about you? What about you? I'm not asking you. It's okay to think about those whom you love and care about right now. What about them? What about them? Where are they at? But I have to ask you, what about you? And you'll see why right now. I have to ask you, what about you? You see, in just a few days from this conversation, Jesus would prove all right, this personally by giving, you know, and dying, giving his life and dying on the cross right there in front of them. 
publicly dying on the cross. All right, he would be publicly buried, all right? And he publicly would be rising from the grave. And I'm gonna prove it right now, all right? He would publicly rise from the grave and no one else, you see, here's what I know. No one else up until that time and since that time has ever predicted their death and their resurrection and then pulled it off, right? No one's up to that day and no one since that day has predicted that they will die and then three days later will rise again and then pull it off. Ain't nobody ever done that. But because he did that, I'm like, I'm with him. Amen? I'm with that guy. Amen? Praise the Lord. And 20 years after this, after the resurrection, 20 years later, a guy named Paul, all right, the Apostle Paul. You read about him in the books of, book of Acts, and we'll probably be talking about him sooner than later here. He describes to his, his readers, he writes this book, all right? He writes a letter, actually, to a town, uh, uh, to a, a church in a town called Corinth. And he writes a few letters there. We have two of them. And he, uh, in the first letter that we have, he writes and he, he covers all kinds of ground just of just theological purity and truth. But then he describes to his readers as a matter of fact the common knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we catch up with him in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to turn there, you, I'll give you a minute. Beginning in chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in chapter 1, he tells the church, this is 20 years after the resurrection. 20 years later, the story is still fresh in culture. And he's going to share with you in a minute why I could say that. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. All right? The gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, we should never need to be reminded of the gospel, amen? We should always be so fresh in the, in the, in the, in the in just right there with Jesus in the resurrection of Christ and he's just thanking him for that. We should never need to be reminded and we should never feel, all right, the need not to be reminded though as well, right? We should never say, I know, I know, I know. People will tell me, you know, why do you preach the gospel all the time? Can we have some more? You know, there is more and you should be in a community group right now, all right, to pursue that more. But I will always preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus himself said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. Amen? Men and women, the whole people, all of them. So, you know what? I will never shut up about the gospel. Amen? And you shouldn't either. Amen? So we should never really need to be reminded, but we should also never need not to be. Phil, we, need, we don't need to be. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, all right, and what you received as authoritative for your life, and what you stand, 
where you make your stand and, and you hold your ground in life. This gospel, which is authority for life and your stance and your posture in life. That hill that we will die on. He says, and, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached, unless you believed in vain, which you have been redeemed from this life. He says, you know what? It's authority for your life. It's where you hold your ground in this life. It's better where you've been redeemed from this life. And it's where you stick firmly to his life. Amen? Unless you believed in vain. How are you going to hold tight and then just let go, right? Is what he's, what he's talking about. And here he goes. For I delivered, he's, here's his gospel. For I delivered to you of first importance, of, fr say first importance. first importance. One more time, I was weak. All right, you guys were awesome. First importance. First importance. This is a big deal. When you see in the Bible, this is most important. <laughs> right? Get ready. This is a big deal, all right? He says, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, all right? That he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. There's, there's, there's the, the simplicity and, and, and the technicality and, and, the, and, and, and this, the, um, the humongousness, there's a good word for you, the hugeness or the ginormousness of, this, of the gospel. We can simply say how huge and larger than the planet this is. He died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. And that he appeared he appeared. He didn't just get up and, well, yeah, we heard. No, he appeared to some people. He says, he calls him, Paul calls him Cephas. Jesus called him Peter. I don't know. That's kind of a thing they got going. We'll figure it out sometime, I'm sure. He appeared to, to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the 12, to the apostles. But look at, and you're like, okay, well, of course, they're going to say that. But here we go. Look at this, verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and here's what we have to remember. Back at this time, and we don't do this anymore, obviously, when they counted people, they only counted the men. So there were women and children there as well. So probably thousand or more at one time, most of whom are still alive. What he's saying is you can go ask them. You can track these people down. This was front page news. All right, this wasn't something we just heard in some dark corner. All right, 500 people, 1,000 people was a huge chunk of people in, this in these smaller communities. And you can find these people. Paul said, you go talk to them. Most of whom are still alive, and though some have fallen asleep. Look at how he doesn't say go, died, because he's talking about believers. I think it was... Uh, Pastor Chad, who said, what did he say? I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, you, 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 uh, you, never mind. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> right now, just go, wow, that was good. Pastor Chad, knock it out. All right. Um, something like die 
once <laughs> and then die again. I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> I'll find it and maybe next week we'll say that one thing that Pastor Chad said so eloquently. Um, <laughs> over 500 people saw him. <laughs> Shouldn't even done that. <laughs> All right, because now you're like, what was it? <laughs> All right. You know, 500 people, over like a th- probably more close to 1,000 people, people saw him alive. Today, we would consider that to be the most valid evidence. Amen? We would consider that to be like, yeah, if 500 people or more saw me running a red light and said, hey, that dude ran a red light, you'd be like, dude, man, come on, pastor. You ran the red light, right? <laughs> no, man, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Come on. All of these, like everybody here saw me run the, come on, that's, that's a good, that's, that's valid testimony. And if that's not enough, look at the next. And then he appeared to James, his brother. All right, how many, okay, that's huge. His, to, if your brother sees you rise from the dead, and you know what, that's a big deal. All right, and then to all the apostles, all right, and last of all, was one untimely born. He appeared to me he, for about in between four to seven years. We can't really nail the time. All right, after the resurrection, he showed up to Paul, and this is how we get to know our history through eyewitnesses' accounts. Right? This is how we get to know it, and then Paul talks to us, to the church then, and to the church now. Later on in chapter 15, he says these words. I'm going to read a lot of scripture right here, but it's going to explain itself. Check it out. I'll throw a little bit in there maybe to help. Check this out. It says in verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? How can you act like it didn't happen and it won't still, it can't still happen? For how many of this have people, has this become like a kid's story, all right? And now we've moved on to bigger and better things. He says, let's try this, take a look from the other side. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even, then not even Christ has been raised, all right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is worthless, all right? Because our preaching would be, and our faith would be, I'll be without a foundation, and there'd just be words that are just tossed in the air. He said, well, we are found then to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. They're not even, there is no hope. If in Christ, he says, if in Christ, all right, we have hope in this life only, we're the knuckleheaded people, most knuckleheaded people on the planet. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In fact. Not in, hmm, or we're open, we'll see. No, in fact, this is the fact 
Nobody's been able to disprove it. They've only been able to prove it more and more and more. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says the first fruits, the first one of those who have fallen asleep. And then we are next. We're next. We're next. Happy New Year, amen? <laughs> That's a big deal. So what are you going to do with, with all that? What are you going to do about all that? And I've been, I was, I was singing late last night, man. Okay, Lord. And I had so many things. God, what do you want me, what do you want to take home? And how about this? And how about this? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It was very quite simple. What God led us to is something he's been leading us to already and that he has established. And it's nothing I created. It's something that he gave us. So first of all, we need to make this truth the center of your every day, all day life. Everyday life, all day life, man. We have to make this the center of our life. We don't move on from the resurrection. We're in the resurrection of Christ all day, every day. Even when we get onto those deeper and crazier things, man, that we're looking through the scriptures, it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we are at work, when we're at school, when we're at home, when we're in our neighborhood, when we're visiting friends and family, when we're across the world and wherever we're at on vacations or whatever the case may be, this is the truth and the center of our everyday life. And so how, 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 can we, how can we help with that? What do we do to help have that prayer that we've been studying for the past few years? A very simple prayer. I'm going to begin it, and you're going to remember it right off. A very simple prayer. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. When we can truly get to that place, to where we are daily, daily thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good place to stay, don't you think? Thank you for the cross. And because of that thankfulness and because of the enormity of the cross, we can say without hesitation, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm all yours. Amen? Thank you for the cross. I'm yours. I'm all yours. This whole life, not just this walking around life, but this laying down life, not just the public life, but the life when nobody's looking, I'm still all yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the cross. I'm yours, and help me see the way you see. Help me see the way you see, because I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm totally yours. And because I'm yours, this life makes no sense to me anymore when I'm just mine. So I want to be yours. And so now I want to see life the way you see life. It is such a simple prayer. Own it. Take it with you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to be here to pray with you. I know some of us are going to need some prayer. All right, every one of us need prayer. Who are we kidding, right? All right, sometimes we need help with that prayer. We'll be here to pray with you.
we have a fence in the back. Hold on, y'all. I don't know where y'all think you're going, man. Hey, you, young man in the white shirt, walking in the back right there. Somebody stop that guy. All right, you, right there. I'm talking to you, bro. I don't even care where you get good. All right, we, you and me got... All right. That was my son, so anyways, yeah. All right. Anyways, <laughs> uh, one of them. Um, we'll be here to pray with you. We got a fence back there for prayer. We have a special announcement at the end here. Um, one thing I do want to remind you, we have one more day left today for annual Christmas gift. You guys are knocking it out of the park with that. Thank you so much. Round of applause for that. I can't. All right. Praise the Lord. But we're here for prayer. Fence in the back. Can't forget to turn my mic off. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Love you.